Oh dear. Hey guys, and welcome to the Coffee and Coding Podcast, the show where we discuss everything there is to know about app development. I'm your host, Rob J, and in this episode, I speak to Tamira James, iOS developer, speaker, tech evangelist, and founder of Technigal. We talk about her very non-linear journey into iOS development, why she founded Technigal, how Coursera approached her to develop a Flutter course, how she transitioned from employee to freelancer during COVID, developer evangelism, and much, much more. Now onto the show. So before we get into today's episode, a little bit of housekeeping. So firstly, yes, I did miss an episode. For those of you with a keen eye, you may have noticed that there was no podcast episode last week. My apologies. There is a reason for that. Whether it's a good one or not, I can't say. But essentially, this is what happens when you take three contracts on at the same time. You end up losing a lot of time that I'd normally be using to produce and edit etc this podcast so that was why there was no podcast episode last week but hey we're back this week and I can assure you that this episode was definitely worth the wait so I recorded this conversation early November it was the same day as the US presidential election forgive me people listening in the states for not knowing which day exactly that was I feel like it's the third or the fifth, but I could be entirely wrong. But either way, it was recorded that same day and it was initially over an hour and a half long. So as you can imagine, it took a while to edit. I guess the best metric that I give to people that have asked me how long it takes is usually one minute takes about three to four minutes, roughly speaking, to edit. So for every one minute of audio, that takes me about four minutes to edit where you're listening and then you're pausing and then, you know, you're making some things quieter and some things louder and you're removing some sounds that you don't want, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, going by that three to four scale, an hour and a half of podcast audio takes about somewhere between four and a half to six hours to actually edit. So now you know. So without further ado, apologies for missing the episode last week. I'll try and make sure it doesn't happen again in the future. And in the meantime, enjoy my conversation with Tamira. This is going to be probably my last podcast for the year. Oh, okay. Yes. All right. Absolutely. All right. Well, <laughs> I'll do my best to try and make it a good one then. Yeah. <laughs> All good. Then in that case, the first thing that I'm, I'm kind of interested in, or I guess for the listeners who haven't listened to, you know, most of the podcast interviews that you've done, can you give a little bit of background about kind of who you are and specifically how you got into software development? Absolutely. Well, my name is Tamira James. I'm a Pisces and no, (laughs) Um, all those things are true. But yeah, I getting into software development. I mean, for those of you who are not familiar with my story, it's very, very non-traditional, very unique background coming from actually music and entertainment. And I was born and raised, if you're familiar with the East Coast of the United States, uh, New Jersey, and, you know, small town, New Jersey, single parent home, my sister and I, and we were just born into the arts. You know, I was singing, my sister's a dancer, you know, and I really, like my mom was my momager. It was the whole thing. <laughs> I love that So. Word. Uh, yeah, momager. And, uh, you know, I was performing at like huge, huge venues and huge, even arenas at a young age, you know, from the Apollo Theater to Madison Square Garden to 
you know, I, and I was getting like all these like accolades as a child. How, how you know, old are we talking? We're talking six to like, like all the way. And so I moved from, so we did like that whole like New York thing um, from six to 11 and we got a huge start. And then, you know, when you're in a small town, like you reach a ceiling, right? Even with your career, you know, and even when, when you're doing great things, there's a, comes a time where you have to break out of your box, you know, and that's what we felt that New Jersey was for us, you know, at a certain point, we were just like, we've been here our whole lives. And, you know, there's just so much more. My mom just wanted to make sure that we opened up our eyes and, and were able to see the world and, you know, really excel in what we were doing. So we moved to Atlanta, Georgia, with this, which is the South and music, very much a, a music hub. And yeah, we continued on from there. We, um, so from 11 to like, uh, 17, you know, we were dealing, like I was in and out of like, uh, situations with labels. I was in doing major things with like major artists and huge shows. And like, I I was just kind of doing, I was doing the child star thing (laughs) and also growing into myself and growing into my artistry. I was going to a, I was intending, attending a a performing arts high school. Performing arts was, was my thing. So musical theater and all of the above. And so that was my path. That was my, you know, first love, the stage, you know, singing, all of that. And then around 17, that's where I kind of stumbled into like this, uh, started off with a flyer, I always say. This flyer that was around my uh, high school campus. And uh, it said that they were, this organization was looking for high school students to be interns at this, basically at, at several different companies, right? So they had a partnership with different companies in the metro Atlanta area. And they were like, we need high school students to be interns at, you know, in the tech organizations uh, around the area. So we were like, I was like, okay, this is a, this is a bit odd. First of all, I've never heard of high school students being interns. <laughs> this was new to me at real companies. This was new to me. And, you know, it was just something that intrigued me though, because it was like, okay, to be a web developer, to be a web designer. These are things that, you know, I've seen these titles before. But the, I think it was the idea of it being an option for me at that age, right? So like I can work at these companies to be a web designer, be a web developer, never coded a day in my life outside of, you know, uh, building my own amazing MySpace page. <laughs> That's serious. But yes, of course. Back oh, in you, the day it was at least. It was, um, it was a thing. It said something about, you know, who you are and, you know, so everything down to the widgets, like you, you had to be doing your thing. So besides me being a whiz at that, I was really interested, you know, and this is something that has followed me throughout my career. You know, this curiosity factor that I have, you know, it only takes about 5% of curiosity for me to at least look into something. And that has been a huge blessing and a huge, uh, just asset for me going on in, into my career. So 5% interest, I said, hey, this is this looks interesting. Uh, also, they were saying they were gonna give $1,000 for the summer. I was like, hey, look, <laughs> I think I'm doing it. So uh, I went ahead and applied and uh, I studied as much as I could about web development and web design. And I actually got in and I was like, oh, okay. 
<laughs> and what they were looking for was that ambition, right? Was that hunger because they don't expect you to be, you know, you're, you're 16, 17 years old. They don't expect you to be a, a genius at uh, this stuff. They don't expect you to be, you know, whipping up things in your por- portfolio. They're trying to allow you the experience and the mentorship to do that, to start that journey. So I was so grateful for that. Um, it introduced me to a whole new world. I ended up doing that for two summers before I decided that, you know, this was something that I was going to move forward with. So I was like, okay, going into college, I always knew I wanted to go to college. And I always knew that I wanted to go to college for something outside of music. Music was my entire life everything. Like my family was embedded in it. We were in the business already. Um, I wanted to add something else to me. I I wanted to add something else to me. I wanted to give myself other options, you know, there's another layer. And I said, well, computer science, I really love this. And right then and there, just before I started to apply to schools, I said, okay, what, what is going to be my plan? Like, am I going to you know, okay, go to computer, you go, go to school for computer science. And then what, like, what what's the end goal here? Like right then and there, 18 years old, I said, okay, uh, I, I know that I'm great at web development now, great at web development. I love this, but what else does tech have to offer me? Like, this is an, uh, an entire industry of, you know, this is, this is STEM. Like this is a wide range. Where do I want to go from there? And I landed on mobile development. And the reason why I landed on mobile development is because I started to really think about the impact that it was having then, right? We were making the transition from, you know, the, uh, it went from like the Razor phones, everyone wanted a Razor, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then it was like, oh, Razor now it has a camera. The flip phones have cameras now. And then you, now you can take more than just still images, right? So now there's video, uh, then the birth of the smartphone, you know, now there's apps and different games and all this stuff. And, you know, then the birth of the iPhone. So it was just like, I saw mobile becoming more than just, uh, a medium for communication. Uh, it became, and as it is today, a, a necessity and a part of, um, who we are, how we operate as a society, how we stay connected, how we do our business, um, how we manage our finances. Like, I mean, those are really major things. So that, that was something that I felt like I wanted to have. I wanted to have impact. I wanted to have impact. And I felt like I would make the most impact with mobile development. So yeah. And so went to college. That wasn't a great experience. (laughs) Uh, as most people in, in tech will tell you that, you know, being a computer science student is probably not the best experience. Um, even for the best of us, um, (laughs) it's not the best experience for so many different things, right? There out of all the universities, and I can't speak for the rest of the world, but even like in the United States, like I would say there are a select few that actually have, um, and, and I'm, I'm including the Ivy Leagues and all the, you know, that actually have a sense of, uh, clarity and direction for their computer science students, right? And, and that can be on different levels, right? It can be in the curriculum, the aspect of the curriculum. There's a lot of curriculums that are outdated that are, and just the pace and the model of how things are being taught. 
even for the best of us, it's just like, it's something that, and I, I don't know if, uh, you know, I, I haven't been on the uh, other end as far as being in the education system. Like I've, I've been a teacher, but being, having to kind of conform to whatever that college, you know, they, they want the professor to teach this a certain way. And, you know, I don't know, but any computer science student will tell you like, it's, 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 not always the best experience. So for me, my that consisted of several different levels. One, the curriculum, very much outdated. I'll give you a good example. So we were, I was in CS101, of course. I was in CS101, we were le- learning Java. And I don't know if you know Java, I'm not gonna put you on the spot, but I was gonna say, what IDE do you think we were using? Usually you would use Eclipse. You would use Eclipse. Eclipse is a great start for anybody, not only learning Java, but just like, it, it's a, it's just a great start, a starter IDE. And it's solid, it's been around, like it, it, great community, great foundation. You know, we were using, <laughs> we ended up using a compiler that another professor from another school had built himself. So we were like the guinea pigs. So we were just learning <laughs> CS101 students. And we were using this compiler that was super buggy. And so I'm testing out some of my code and I'm like, is it, is it me? Like, I'm wondering why, like I'm getting errors. And this thing, I get an email from my professor. like, if you get this error, this error, it's not you, it's the compiler. We're working on it. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm learning. Why, why are you doing you this guys, to me? Yeah, like, <laughs> you guys are learning to code on something that doesn't exist outside of the university. Absolutely. Wow. You know, and I was just like, uh, I, I, it was, it was horrible. It was horrible. Uh, there was no foundation for, um, so the, yeah. So the next component just, I guess I, the next component that, that just failed me was, um, foundation. And when I say foundation, I mean, a network, a resource, right? When you go to a university, that should be, I mean, your education is number one, but we live in a day where you can get education from just about anywhere, right? It doesn't have to, like, you don't have to get it from a university. Uh, so the number one priority should be your foundation, which consists of the network that that university will provide you, the network of people inside of that university and outside. That means alumni, partners, uh, company partners. Um, that means uh, grants and all sorts of things. Like you should be looking at the network and then resources, right? So now gateways into those uh, relationships and into those communities and into the like, it, there should be some form of mentorship, some form of helping you, you know, kind of stand out and helping you excel once you leave that place. So there wasn't any of those things. There wasn't any of those things. So they really treated my major like, yeah, it's, yeah, sure. We got computer science here. Right. Okay. Like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and even down to the graduate students, like they were lost. I was like, where are you going after this? They're like, Mm, I'm looking at, I'm like, red flag. (laughs) I'm like, you know, there should be a clear direction that at least in that third year of the four years that you're there. So I'm looking at it year one, like, okay, I'm, I'm seeing this like dead end. And then there was this, and then the, the final layer was the diversity. I, 
did not know about, you know, I was brought up around all cultures, of course, you know, in the small town that I like I was brought up in, like we were definitely in like a majority, like minority filled, you know, areas, but I was always doing things and shows and things. So I was exposed to a lot of different cultures at a young age. You know, I I was exposed to so many different. So it was never a thing of like, oh, I'm around too many white people or I'm around too many of these people. Like it was never that. I, for some reason, it felt like, and, and this was the first time it really felt like it was just like, I don't know, like it was almost purposely skewed. And I was just like, I don't know. I don't know why I got that feeling. And so that I was like, you know what? I felt like I was being pushed out of school. And so I ended up leaving school that first year. Um, Even though your first year is usually your hardest, but I like, I was, I felt as if I was being pushed out and I left and I didn't know what I was going to do. Like, it was just totally like, okay, lost on me and uh, ended up going back home. Thankfully, at that time, my parents, uh, parents being parent, <laughs> uh, my parents, my mom and my sister and my grandfather at the time who passed away three months after being here um, in California, but it was my mom, my grandfather and my sister. They had moved to Sacramento, not too far from the Bay area where I went to school. The irony that I was in a school right in the Bay area. Um, <laughs> and all of these things were still true. So left school, went to Sacramento to live with my mom. Uh, grandfather passed away and I was just trying to figure out what was I, was I going to go to another school? Uh, was I going to like, what what was I going to do? I really wanted to do, you know, computer science and I had already started my journey. You know, music was still my first love. You know, obviously I was still doing things involving the, you know, involving music, but I was just like, I started this computer science journey and I really wanted to continue that. And my mom was like, my biggest cheerleader was just like, let me tell you something. This is the, you know, uh, this is the information generation. So like anything you want to know, anything like you, you go out there and you get it. Like you're still you, like college doesn't define you. These circumstances don't define you. You're still Tamira James. You're still like smart and, and courageous and this and that, like you are still you. So now you go out and get what you want. And that was all I needed. So I went online every form of non-traditional education you can find. At that time, the coding schools and boot camps, all that wasn't really popping back then. It wasn't really like, oh, well, let me just go to uh, what, what you year know. or like what kind of year are we talking about now? We're talking uh, 2013. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Early days. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just like, you know, it wasn't like, oh, let me go to Flatiron real quick. Let yeah. me go to, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, let me go to whatever. And it was just like, I didn't even know to look for those things. They, they weren't really there. And so, yeah, I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. So I just, I went online, found any, any form of, you know, education. I ran into, those of Coursera, those of Treehouse, uh, even, you know, EDX. Uh, let me see. I mean, there were so many. And then also there was something else that I discovered, which annoyed, like it really annoyed me because the school that I attended was a four-year private university. 
when I found out that Stanford just so happened to start releasing their CS 101 courses online for free on the iTunes University uh, platform, I was sick. (laughs) I was like, wait a minute. This is basically, and these are like the live lectures. This is not a separate thing that they re-record. No, they're just recording the, the classes. And I'm just like, what? And they're releasing the slides and the the project files and there's a forum where all the students are asking questions and the you have the professor's email and I'm just like so I could be a Stanford student for free I'm like okay and basically it didn't have the distractions of college you know my friends and this and that and um you know even down to other classes like required classes that you have to take like I can just study CS 101 uh you know from the Stanford uh, professor. And they also had a mobile track. They had an, a, 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 a separate track for iOS development. So I was taking CS101 and I was taking iOS development from home via Stanford, via uh, Treehouse, via Coursera. via, And I was just like, oh, just this wealth of, and I drowned myself for about almost a year, almost a year and just information just just information and being by yourself and i know this is like really hard for certain people they need like a community or they need a, a teacher or they need the guidance of someone or something to uh learn off of and bounce off of in order to continue and for me it was just about this is something that i want to do i got excited about it and i just drowned myself in it and before you know it i had I started looking for jobs and this is something that I always encourage people to do when they're looking for, when they're, they're just getting started and they're thinking about, okay, when should I start looking for jobs? And when do I, when am I qualified? I say, look at jobs that you might want. Okay. And jobs that you say, oh, I might, even the ones that you feel like you might not be qualified for just yet. Look at those job descriptions and go down and you look at, okay, I need someone who's an iOS engineer and you need to know these frameworks, these five to seven frameworks, study those frameworks, build things, play with those frameworks. That's what you need to be doing for the next X, Y, and Z. It doesn't mean apply right away, which you definitely can, but it helps to have those kinds of things already on your portfolio. So not only do you like you're already kind of playing around with it, but like you have something on GitHub and you can point to and they say, hey, um, you know, have you used, you know, the AV player? Yeah, well, I have something, you know, I actually built a project. It's on my GitHub repo and have a project actually utilizing that. And you can explain that, you know, like, so that's what I ended up doing, you know, looking up these things like, hey, what are the frameworks out there? What are the, what's in demand and what are people looking for out there? And I started to play off of that. And I, I said, okay, I can't get an internship because I'm not a student. So I have to compete with everybody who's looking for full time. Great. <laughs> At 19, great. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, no prior experience, but you, of course you have to uh, have experience to get experience. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so I said, you know what? I'm going to push an app into the app store. And, you know, that is going to be my badge on top of 
all these other things. I don't have the professional experience with the company, but I do have the the skills and I can demonstrate that. Um, I can point to this, 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 all these things that I have. Uh, and I also have something that's pushed into the app store that people are using. It doesn't have to have a hundred thousand downloads, but this is live. This is something that I own that is published onto the app store. So with that, that is how I started my iOS career, you know, and really making that transition into, uh, you know, getting my first role. So it was a long journey. I know that was a lot, but, uh, I mean, there are so many, like people ask me this question all the time. Like, how did you get started? Like there, there's so many steps in between. And even the version that I give, like even this version is like so surface level because there were so many things that were going on in between that time, you know, of uncertainty of, you know, like the, the, it definitely was not linear. Right. But sometimes when you ever look back at your life or at your career and you'd be like, you just like, for some, like, I, I know all the things, like, and it, it felt weird at the time or it felt like I was going all over the place. But now when I look back or when I'm telling people about it, they sound ordered. Yeah, 100%. Right? Yeah. yeah. Sound like ordered steps. And and that's what and that's what I feel like my life is. Like, everything is like ordered steps. But definitely not linear. Yeah, that's that's awesome. There's, there's so many things that I want to touch on there because I feel like you're preaching to the choir, so to speak, because mm-hmm. <laughs> the, st- the stuff about like building, like I tell everyone this all the time because I get asked a lot things like, you know, do I have to get a job? So I, I do freelance work. So I know Java because I'm an Android developer and I do, pro- I've only ever done freelance work and I get asked a lot, you know, can I, do I have to get a job before I decide to go to freelance work and all this kind of stuff. And I always say the same thing. It's like, you, like you can, but you could also just build stuff and then you can just tell people I built this and then you can skip that whole like year of getting somebody to approve that you actually know what you're talking about because you can just explain to them, look right here, I know what I'm talking about. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> but but I, I, have a, I have a question about like I have my own thoughts on traditional quote unquote education, but mm-hmm. having, having you know, you done the first year and then, you know, it wasn't for you or you felt like you were pushed out and then you realized like you decide to start learning your own. And then you realize basically what everybody's paying for at Stanford, I can do online for free. And the only difference is at the end of it, you don't get a piece of paper to say that you did it, right? Exactly. So having had that experience now, if somebody was asking you, and like, I imagine the listeners to this podcast are already past this point, but I'm interested for my own self is like, if somebody's asking you, I'm, I'm interested in coding, do I go to university? Do I go to college? Do I go to Coursera? Do I go to YouTube? How do you suggest that it would be the best way for me to get into it? What would your answer be? If you want to just jump in, I would say do the non-traditional route. So now we have a plethora of like content on YouTube. So absolutely like those YouTubers, like you can build so many cool things and, and learn so many cool things off of just, you know, people who are in the industry and they're offering these things for free. I would say go the free route first, you know, because everyone who wants to get into code, it doesn't mean that code is for them, right? Uh, you might decide that, you know what? I'm more into, I might get into design. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I got into code and I figured out that, you know what? I want to go this route, you know, or I started with web, like me, I started with web development and I was like, ah, Maybe I want to go over here, right? So you don't want to pay for something when you're figuring it out. So look into those free resources. Definitely you, YouTube. Definitely, you know, you want to look into Code Academy, all the like different 
platforms that will offer you a, a start for free. So you want to start on the free and then kind of move from there and say, Hey, is this something that if I always say, if you go to a university, don't do it for the piece of paper, like do it for you, do it for you. Do it. If it is a self requirement, not because it's something that, you know, your, your parents want to stick on their wall, you know, but if that is something that you want, if you want something that you, you know, your parents can stick on their wall and you, this is a goal for you. Great. Long as it's your goal, but not something that you feel like it's required in the industry because it's not. And if you don't want to waste the four years, I would say, do not do it because it does not take four years to you to be for you to be prepared for the industry. So, you know, I would say choose whatever, whatever route on, on that university. And like, and, and another thing that encouraged me once I left school was, like, and this came after once I left and I was sort of figuring everything out and I was learning on these different platforms, but it doesn't mean that I was confident right away. Like I was like, okay, now this is the way I'm going to do it. And I just got excited about learning. But once I started seeing other people's journeys, like I didn't know the story of uh, Mark Zuckerberg and I, and I learned that I knew that he went to college. I didn't know that he left early. Um, You know, when I started to figure out that, you know, that Michael Dell and, um, you know, even down to Steve Jobs, who wasn't even a comp side major. You know, I think he majored in something related to marketing, which made him the marketing genius, of course. And he didn't stay in school for that, you know, but these are people who have shaped our entire industry. And that encouraged me too. It was just like, okay, <laughs> they can do it. So it's, it's definitely not about that. It's about how much you are willing to push yourself to educate yourself. Like it's, there's so many other elements. Like you want to learn to code? Absolutely. You know, learn online. You know, I would say online first, free resources first, but then you have the network. Like don't just go to the platforms, look into the communities online. And I know we're not in an offline type of, you know, situation right now in society, but you know, there was a time where, you know, meetups, going to meetups, meeting people, uh, learning new things, you know, out in these events, you know, comp tech conferences, things like that. Like you can learn so much from your peers. And one thing I love about the tech industry that really turned me on to it, which is like very much the opposite of the music industry is there's this culture of if I teach you what I know, it's not taken away from me. I can teach you everything I know and I'm still who I am. It doesn't decrease my value. It doesn't take away my opportunities. As a matter of fact, like I know five companies that are hiring for this right now. You know what I'm saying? And here, I'm going to send you some resources. You know, I'm going to do an intro. I'm going to, you know, hey, like, let's walk through this together. Like, whereas in the music industry, it was just like, you think I'm going to tell you when there's an audition for, you know, <laughs> I'm auditioning for that. Yeah, I'll tell you, you know, back after I've done it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's very uh, siloed, You're very siloed, very clicked, very much, you know, and the tech industry has bits and pieces of that. But overall, like we're all moving towards the same goal, which is innovation. And again, and, and we with that innovation, it's all about 
teaching the next person and passing it forward. So that really turned me on to the industry. And so for anybody who's a beginner, like don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to network. Don't be afraid to talk to people who you feel like are super, you know, senior in the industry or even popular in the industry. You'd be surprised how many people who are willing to help you in your journey. 100%. I, I would also say to people that are listening that are not beginners, also don't be afraid to ask questions. Yes. Because because I was speaking to um so I had uh, Jonathan Coutreau on um from the Developer Tea podcast. I think like I don't know what episode this is going to be, but you know seven episode uh, something like that. And he said that one of the things that he encourages people is to ask questions because especially when you're all senior developers, you're all sitting in a room and you're all discussing some sort of project, and then somebody says something that none of you know, but you all feel like you're expected to know it, so nobody mm-hmm. will raise the question. And then the one person that raises the question, everyone's like, oh, yeah, I don't know what that means either. Can you explain it to me? So it's like, yeah, you have to ask questions all the time. Otherwise, how are you going to learn anything? Absolutely. And a lot of us, like, another thing I had to learn was, like, even the Googlers Google. Oh, yeah. Um, I can imagine. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, Ironically, even- they probably Google how to do their job while they're building the engine. Yes. That's crazy. <laughs> So like, uh, I remember someone actually told me the stats, like the data on Stack Overflow show that there are more Google engineers from Google that ask questions on there <laughs> than at any other company. And telling beginners that, or even telling seniors that, like, that's like, you know, that's a help because we all have this thing of just like, again, when we get to a certain level, we like, we feel like I may need to know that. Even me, like yeah, I teach yeah. Swift now. And, uh, it's just like, I don't, I don't know all the things. I don't know. I'm, and I'm constantly learning and I'm constantly feeding myself. Um, and what I do is I pass that down immediately. So yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, so I want to get to the teaching stuff, but before we get to the teaching stuff, you were talking about offline, which I feel like is a good segue into the meetup that I, I don't know if you're running it now or if it's, if it's online, but I know that you've built this whole meetup community. So can you talk a little bit about what that is and why you started that would be really interested to know as well? Absolutely. So I started a meetup group back in 2014, 2015. Lord, I really should know this, huh? 2014, but that's, but that's still early days in your career, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, very, very early on. I want to say it was 20, mm, either late 2014, early 2015. And basically, I started this meetup group just because I started thinking about when I was younger. At this point, you know, I just got, I had just gotten my first iOS, you know, professional engineering role. And I started thinking about all the things that I'm doing now and I was just feeling great about it. And I was just so enlightened by the, you know, the, the industry experience and, you know, me being at this company and it was everything that I could have never imagined coming up. And I started thinking about all the things that attributed to that, like why, was I not aware of what this experience was like or even what, what it meant to be a programmer. I had this other idea growing up that programming was boring. You know, I was at a desk all day and I had to be a child prodigy, you know, (laughs) calculus was like, you know, I was hacking on things like, you know, whatever the media says, 
We do. That's what someone, I thought. Someone knocks on your door and you get in trouble with the police or something yeah. for doing something oh, you man. weren't supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Like, they come looking for you and it's just like, you know, I- I'm in the terminal all day. Like, it was just like, <laughs> yeah. this is like total opposite. I'm just like, we know now, like, you you think of the, the Facebook office, they got a, like a, skate, a skateboard like ramp inside the office they got like a studio in there they got a game room where everybody's just having like xbox tournaments and all kinds of stuff it's just like they've got like free dry cleaning all the so it's just like i could have never imagined that growing up because nobody exposed me to that if i was exposed to that maybe i would have been interested a lot earlier in my uh you know just in my career not not earlier in my upbringing and I wanted to create a community where I was able to do that for young girls. I was able to provide them with that because now I started my career. I was learning these things and I needed to expose these girls to the truth and then give them resources in order to thrive and enter that space at their in their own on their own terms. Meaning, again, just because you're attracted to STEM doesn't mean you're a programmer. You might be like, okay, you like the idea of programming, but you have more of an eye of design, or maybe you already were on track to be a lawyer, but you like tech, but you know, so I wanted to expose them to things like you can be an IP attorney. You can be, you know, if you're in education, you can be a computer science teacher. You can be all these different. So there, I was, I was creating this network of people. I was constantly networking. I was going to meetups. I was doing these things. Uh, by this time, my role was in the Silicon Beach area. So that is Venice Beach, Santa Monica, Playa Vista, uh, Culver City area, um, even the Metro Los Angeles area. I was building up my network through uh, the hackathon realms, creating hackathons, building hackathons, doing workshops, and just being networking with and then becoming a part of the people who were creating this kind of STEM experience and the rise and and building the momentum of STEM in this area of California. So I started doing that and I said, okay, I definitely want to utilize my network and, you know, do what I can to make sure that I can create that experience for these young girls. Was doing great for the first maybe two or three months we we did some partnerships with the surrounding schools in the area to what, what kind of age were you aiming at? I was aiming for the high school age range, which can be some people say it's a little bit late. I'm like, why not middle school? Why not elementary? Why not? you know high school? They may be able to uh, you know grasp certain things a, a lot faster. That's for one and two high school. And I'm going off of my own experience. You know, high school is probably the most impressionable time for, you know, for, for not only just kids, but like, especially young girls, you know, we're going through so many different changes and, you know, like we're figuring out, we're figuring out who we are, what we want, what we like, like what we want to be. Like those are the starting, like where our mind, I mean, we have this huge growth spurt in our minds and, you know, we are figuring out who we're walking into as young women. And I wanted to catch them at that age and really make an impression at that time. Cause that's, that's really the time. If you think about it, like, that's the time where I was most impressionable, where it was like, Oh, computer science. Oh, let me just try this. 
So I wanted to expose them to, I wanted to give that experience. And so we did a partnership with the schools, the surrounding schools. We had some girls coming in the first two or three months. It was great. After about three months, we started to see a shift in the ages. It shifted from like, it, it became like less of the, 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 the high school girls. And it started to shift into more adult women. And uh, I mean, we didn't, we, we didn't mind at the time, but like after like five and six months, it became more and more of the adult women. So I was like, okay, what's happening here? So what, (laughs) what ended up happening was, I guess the, the word I got around about, you know, because what we were teaching, it wasn't just, it wasn't unique to just high school age girls. We were exposing them to things that were beneficial to anybody, you know, like uh, this introduction to uh, hackathons or introduction to, you know, we were doing coding workshops. We were doing networking things. We were doing all sorts of like fun activities where they were just, you know, starting to learn about different aspects in tech. And, and for anybody, like, and what we found was we had women in the midst of career transitions, you know, uh, in sales and, you know, I've got, I'm happy and I'm just trying to figure out, like, I've always been interested in tech, but I just wanted to learn more. Like this was just, you know, universally beneficial this information. So we would get these older women coming and we had, you know, women in the midst of career transitions. We had stay at home moms coming in. We had all sorts of like, you know, women who wanted to, they they really just wanted to take advantage of the information and the network. And before you know it, like we, the demographic kind of switched and we weren't like a nonprofit. It was just something that was very loosely done like this. We wanted to do something, you know, we were capturing the audience and, you know, I, w- I was asking them all the time, like, where's your daughter? Like, <laughs> like, yeah, my, my daughter said she, she loved it. And, um, you know, I just wanted to check it out for myself, you know, cause last time I dropped her off, you remember, and I just wanted to check it out. She came back and she told me this, this, this. And I wanted to check it out because I'm trying to, and I always wanted to. And so Technigal became this thing for women of all ages. So to this day, we have a an age range. It's super weird because it's like so wide. It's like our, our youngest could be 14 showing up. And then our oldest is like 56. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful because they're all learning on the same levels and they're all learning the same information and they can be applied in so many different ways, you know? And yeah. And I thought about how urgent, how much like the difference in the age is urgency, because if you think about a a high school age girl and she's just trying things out and figuring herself out, that's super important for her and her personal growth in growing into, like I said, who she's going to be as a young woman and what she's going to decide to do with her life. Then you have this middle-aged woman who has lived a lot of her life doing one thing and she's in this weird space where that's not making her happy anymore. So, and she might be experiencing anything from like burnout to a financial situation that's not serving her anymore to just an identity thing and trying to make a transition. And there's a little more urgency with that when you're in that age range, when you're in like middle age, there's a little more urgency because making a switch like that is huge. Like you have a family at that time, 
you know, even down to like your resume, you're, when you're going down to a job and you're trying to get a, a job in a whole other field, they're looking at your resume and it's all in something else. Like there's a sense of urgency there in that transition in your life. So we wanted to make sure it was open for everyone. And so that's what it ended up being. So we're five or six years in now. And, you know, we, we went ahead and made the transition into the nonprofit status. We're just about a thousand members in. And it's just, we're, we're also making a transition just because of this virtual thing. It's just like, it's a little weird. You know, we, we did the virtual thing for a while. It was great, but what happens with the virtual situation is it becomes so saturated. Like it takes up so much of people's time because like it used to be fun to like be a part of like 17 different meetups. Like, <laughs> and you can hop around on this night. You can go here on this night. You can go there and just like, it, that used to be fun. But now it's like, you're already doing your meetings on zoom all day. Uh, you're already, you're consuming all of your media on your laptop or on your phone all day. And then to sit through a meetup and you're not able to properly network or you're not able to like, and you're just sitting through another workshop, lecture or whatever, you know, you're not able to have a, like even a panel, watching a panel. Like I participate because there are people who have time and energy and motivation to uh, consume that. And I want to benefit those people. But for a lot of people, they, they just cut ties with those experiences altogether because it's not the same benefit and it's not the same energy. Yeah. I, I feel like it, it removes that kind of barrier. Like one, it removes that barrier of commitment where you actually have to decide, right, I'm going to go out tonight and I'm going to travel to this place and do this mm-hmm. thing. And then also, like you said, even after you take away like Zoom fatigue, it doesn't feel like it's a interactive experience. It's just like watching YouTube. Like yeah, somebody, somebody, somebody's talking and you have a question, but you can't interrupt and you might press the button that says, you know, raise hand, but no one's going to see it. And yeah, then by like, the time they do see it, the moments pass. It's just, it's just, it's like leaving a comment on YouTube. It's not the same. And, like, I, yeah. and I also feel like it, it get, like everybody knows it's probably being recorded. So I'll just yeah. skip it and then I'll watch it, you know, in three days time. And then I never watch it because, you know, YouTube sucked my time into watching something yep. else. So. And you always have those people like, is it going to be recorded? And you're like, yeah. Like, okay, cool. Yeah. And as soon as you don't... say yes, you know, they're not coming. <laughs> oh man, don't say yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just don't record it. You come or, or you miss it. That's it. Absolutely. You know, and it's just like, and that's why we're, we're sort of in this transition phase of repurposing, uh, technical because we, we have no clue when the world is going to return to its, I mean, I, I can remember early on during COVID, like people were like, okay, we'll be done in the summer. Summer's <laughs> going to be. <laughs> we're gonna have a normal summer and then it's just like oh my gosh like 2021 like are we gonna like everything is still very much up in the air yeah and we don't know how long that's gonna last so it's just like we want to make sure that we're creating a space that's still beneficial and stays true to that initial purpose right so we're in the midst of transitioning and repurposing and reformatting how we're doing that. And, uh, yeah, these virtual things, like you, sometimes you just get less and less attendance just because of like, again, so many different layers to that. Um, but yeah, you know, we still get a lot of support uh, for Technical, a lot of engagement for Technical. It's just people are tired. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I can totally agree with that. So with the, with the teaching stuff that you do, I assume, is it outside of Technical or is that incorporated? 
That is outside of tech the gal for the moment. Okay. So for so, the moment. Okay. So it could it could become it could become something related. Yeah, that's gonna be a part of the the transition because a lot of people like are out of all the things like we would have panels, we would have like mixers and all sorts of cool things, but there's nothing like people picking up a skill, you know. So when you pick up like that's that's definitely gonna be a part of the transition of uh, that that, edu- that education component. Um, so we're definitely going to add that to the transition. Uh, but right now I am teaching on a few other platforms. One of them being the O'Reilly learning platform. I don't know if you've heard, but O'Reilly will no longer be, I mean, they, they kind of shut it down even before things were certain about how long things were going to be closed down earlier in the year. They had made the decision to completely cut live conferences of all kinds around the world, like from their business model, like they're not going to, when things open up, like they just cut it completely out. Like don't look forward to anything (laughs) uh, (laughs) conference wise from O'Reilly. It took people by surprise because if you think about O'Reilly, it's a huge platform, very much known for their very grand conferences, bringing uh, so many different developers together across the world and for them to cut that out, it was just like a huge blow to the community. But uh, they do have the O'Reilly learning platform where you can access still all of their books, all of their, they do have courses there and they have live trainings. What I've been doing has been the live training. So I spent about three and a half hours doing a uh, live, uh, basically essentially a live course on getting started with Swift. So it's called Swift First Steps. And uh, it's been great. It's been a, a great experience. So uh, that's been the first one. And then Coursera is w- kind of came in uh, just after. And it's really interesting because Coursera came to me with an idea to do a course that is not related to Swift. And that is on Flutter. So about a year and a half ago, I got really interested in Flutter and I just started playing around and um, it, it became something that I just, you know, on the side, I was just, you know, building things with Flutter and having fun with it. My job didn't require me to build anything like any example applications or, or uh, work on some sort of SDK that was compatible, compatible or anything. So, um, you know, it was just something that I, I, I kind of took on on the side and it's a growing community. It's a growing platform. And for them to offer me that, I was just like, that was amazing. So I have a a five course series coming out on Coursera. It was supposed to come out uh, at the end of September. So people are screaming at me. Where is it? (laughs) They're like, where is the, I'm not in charge of the dates. I'm not in charge of the dates. There is a queue uh, that they have of uh, all these different courses they have to be released. And yeah, but it will be released this year. That That's all I can say. You know, the worst thing you can do is uh, throw out a date for anything. <laughs> See, coming soon is the best launch date Coming there is. soon. That's it. That's it. You know, coming soon. So uh, it is coming soon. Uh, but that that's, it's going to be, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. So those are the platforms that I'm teaching on right now. I do have um, a couple of other offers to teach on other platforms and I'm just kind of having fun with it. Um, this is a new thing for me, not per se teaching online, but on these different platforms, just because my 
I had other roles in other companies that were conflicting, uh, whether it was a time, a time situation, a time complication, or a conflict of interest on, on any sort of level. These are opportunities that I could not take before. And so now that I'm in this space of like, you know, independence and uh, sort of, like I like to say, scaling my influence uh, within developer evangelism. So this part of evangelism, where it's like uh, this part of developer advocacy uh, that is dedicated to developer education, you know, I'm able to kind of uh, do an exercise in these different, you know, on these different platforms. So yeah, this is this is awesome. All right. Yeah, no, it sounds awesome. So are you good for like 10 more minutes, by the way? I'm, listen, you have me. I told you this is the, you know, you can put this in too. <laughs> <laughs> I've been podcasting all year and not on my own podcast, yeah, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All year I've been on so many different platforms you know, speaking. And it's a, it's a blessing to be able to share my story, share my experience. Like that's what it's all about. That's what I'm all about. And, uh, this is definitely going to be my final podcast for the year. <laughs> yeah. You have to put for the year in there. Cause otherwise it's just, that's too much for pressure. the year for, for this, for, for 2020. Yeah. You know, this is it. And I said, you know, I'm going to give it to Rob. I'm going <laughs> to, Awesome. <laughs> I'm going to give it to Rob and I'm so glad. Yeah. So I'm, I'm having a great time. You got me. Okay. Awesome. All right, cool. Well, I've only got a couple left, so, so we'll, we should be good, but uh, I'm having a good time too. So, so you, you, you know, you're a tech evangelist, right? And one of the things that I'm interested in, and I'm not sure if I got this right or not. So I guess I should ask the question is, have you done, I know you've done contract work and I assume you've been a permanent employee at some point as a developer as well, right? Yes. Okay, cool. So my question is, which is something that I'm interested in and something that recently, at least I've been asked a lot about, which is what are your thoughts on being a contractor versus being a permanent employee? And that, that can be in the whole of tech because, you know, you you have a wide range of experience, but also like you, I imagine, well, I know for sure that you talk to a lot of different people and a lot of different things in tech. So what are your thoughts on the difference between those two? And do you advocate for one versus the other? That is a very unique question. And I, I, I am appreciative of this question. Of course, I spent all of my career from one company to the next, um, to the next company. And you know, ranging from, you know, engineering work all the way into developer evangelism and advocacy, you know, working with a company, it comes with so many different, uh, so many different benefits, you know, working with brilliant people, uh, getting the experience of team dynamics, collaboration, um, and working with different companies, because what should, what, should and would be a standard for how teams work, how management works, how different workflow, like a workflow for a programmer works. It differs from company to company. Some approaches are more corporate and bureaucratic, and some are more loosely based and very free form, uh, which can be a blessing and a curse. I've been in free form situations uh, where, you know, you're basically more responsible for the work that you're doing. As long as you're doing things that are within your job description, you kind of know this is what we're doing. This is our function. And, you know, just go ahead and do the things. And that insinuates trust. 
they hired you because they trust you to do your job well. Now they brought you on, just do the things. The curse with that is not having the proper guidance. Now, when you have a role such as developer advocacy, you know, a developer advocate or tech evangelist or whatever, anything in that realm, there is a super wide range of things like that you can do. Whether you're, you can be speaking at a conference, you can be uh, doing a bunch of like technical content, you can be empowering and, and being engaged with these different like meetups and, you know, you can, you can, there's a whole bunch of things under this umbrella, but how, what do you deem as successful? There's this thing like there's metrics in there, right? And you can be planting seeds here, seeds all over the place, blah, blah, blah. But what does it add up to? And there are some companies that they know they need developer advocacy, uh, but because they don't understand it a hundred percent, they they see the big picture, but they don't understand the execution. They will, I mean, you'll be running around like with, with your head cut off doing all these things and just like, okay, what are, what exactly are we trying to accomplish? And, and that's why I look at like, if they have goals broken down, you need quarterly goals, you need yearly goals, and uh, they might be the same or they might be different, but you do need those end goals. Right. This month, we're going to focus on developer adoption. This month, we're going to focus on brand awareness. This month, we, like we need those benchmarks and, and it differs, you know, and, and it's the same thing for engineering roles as well. Sometimes we'll be working on a feature and then it's like, you know, oh, we don't really need that. I'm like, OK, I've been working on this for four months. Like, yeah. but, <laughs> OK, uh, OK. And you have those moments. Everybody doesn't know everything, but it's it's better to have guidance in those times. So. And it, and it, like I said, it differs bigger companies, smaller companies, you know, yeah. So you have those, those benefits of understanding those dynamics, uh, working with people, uh, building relationships with people. And that's why even with freelancing, like it is different. Cause like if you start off freelancing, you can still gain a reputation, a personal brand, a following, even, uh, you can still collaborate with people. People reach out to you to partner on certain things. You can still very much do that. So I feel like in this day and time, it doesn't really matter which, which route you start in, but me on the other side, freelancing, it's been an adventure. It's been exciting. It's been super rewarding because I spent so much of my career uh, building up my personal brand. Very much so at first, uh, unknowingly. And then it became apparent to me once, you know, sometimes you never know until like people come up and tell you like, oh my goodness, like, I know you always have the pink hair. And I, I didn't know that was a brand. I didn't know that. Right. <laughs> it's just something I love to do like, oh my goodness. Like, and I started to realize it was a part of a brand and, you know, even like my skills, like they know me mobile development, like that's a part of my brand. So when they think Tamira James, they think pink hair, they think mobile development, they think anything that I do is added on to that. So I built so much of my career working with great people, doing great work and building up this personal brand, building these relationships. And so now I got a chance to step out on my own and you, the, the value of those relationships begin to show themselves in different ways, which is, I'm very, very grateful for, for that in this sort of time that we're in. That That's something that you want, whatever you do, like if you're in a company, you should be making sure that wherever, whatever you're doing, it's adding on to your personal, like it's, you're completing personal goals for yourself. 
you know, it's adding on to your personal growth. So, and it's preparing you for the next level. Um, and everything that I've been doing, I feel like in companies, outside of companies, it's been preparing me for the next level. And, uh, this year, and the reason why I chose to sort of go independent at this time, you know, this year was really scary. And forgive me if you, uh, hear my dog snoring. That's tight, uh, <laughs> but this year was really scary. It was the most, it's been the most uncertain, the most questionable, the weirdest, the scariest, the, the most just outrageous year, unheard of year we've ever experienced. And for a lot of people, we feel like the tech industry is safe from a lot of things. Like we think job loss and this or that. We've always said like in the end, they'll be us. They'll, they'll be the programmers. They'll be the, unless we automate the, and we're, you know, we automate all the things, but most of us aren't automating ourselves out of the jobs. No. Until the robots come, we we should see, right. we should be safe. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Um, we, we always deem ourselves as the last industry standing. And to see a lot of the bigger entities in our industry sort of succumb to the times, it was scary. This year, so I left my last role back in November of last year. Oh, it's, it's technically, it's, oh, it's a year already. Oh my goodness. So November of last year, and I was so grateful because I felt like I was on tour for two years straight. I was traveling, I was speaking, I was doing all the things, and I was just like, the burnout was there. And so I was grateful for that time. And I said, I'm going to take a few months and then I'll get back to, you know, little did I know a few months would be. <laughs> okay. Quite <laughs> a few starts. months. Yeah. And I was like, oh, then I'll think about interviewing again. And, you know, and, uh, by that time I had started interviewing and things were getting weird and, uh, people were leaving offices and I had, Two offers rescinded. Oh, really? I had two offers rescinded uh, because of uh, budgets or hiring freezes. This is all COVID related, right? Th- this is all COVID related. Yes. So this is like going into March, April, like, you know, two offers. This in, this is like in between March and b- July, I want to say. Within that time frame, I had two offers rescinded due to uh, budgeting and whatever with hiring freezes or whatever I had, I, I had experiences where I was being interviewed for different companies and they would, they would say, oh, okay, well, it, you know, they, they would reject me or whatever. So I had a couple of rejections and the next week the people who were interviewing me were laid off. Oh, wow. And I'm like, and so they were interviewing me. Like they, they clearly had no clue that they weren't going to be there the next week. So I was like, whoa, whoa. And it happened more than once. So I was just like, that's, he interviewed me. She interviewed me. And it's like whole teams wiped out. And I was just like, what's happening here? And then there was a space where it was happening so much, whether I was either getting rejected or it was there was a hiring freeze or something weird was going on like they it was all these different things on top of that a lot of the companies that I was interviewing for the I noticed that a lot of the questions started to become less of skill based 
uh, analysis and more so, you know, we're building this new framework and, you know, we're going to launch it and blah, 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 blah. If you were building a new framework and you were going to launch it, how would you do it? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then I would go on and on and I would talk and I would give in detail about how I've done it in the past and how it changed now and new ideas. And they said, "Uh uh-huh, okay. So your next interview is going to be with our VP of marketing. And the VP of marketing would ask me, okay, if you were going to do X, Y, and insert whatever they're trying to do, how would you go about it and why? Well, I would blah, 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 blah. All right. Uh, next week, we're going to speak to, uh, we're going to have a, basically an onsite. Okay. Uh, you're going to speak to five different people, uh, from our product team and engineering team. Uh, okay. Uh, tell us how you would go about, well, first, and like, thank you. Wait a week, 10 days, 13 days. And I say, Hey, what's going on? Hey, um, Sorry, you know, you you did great. We decided that we wanted to change up the role, the dynamic of the role. And like, you're, you're great for like the role we thought we were looking for. But we decided that we wanted to switch it up. Like, you know, like we, we, we want something a little more. But I'm like, oh, okay. I did this. I did this so many times. And I'm in my head and I'm not even like, I'm just focused on interviewing. Then I stopped and realized this is consulting. <laughs> I'm literally consulting for free. Yeah. For, for free. free. Yeah. Mind you, and we know how the interview situation works. I'm talking to these companies for a good month plus, And I'm sharing these things. I'm sharing inside expertise because I'm thinking it's adding on to building up on who I am. It speaks to my expertise. It speaks to blah, blah, blah. And not even recognizing that. Some of these people already know who I am. They've seen my work. They know my work. And, you know, a lot of these roles I'm not even applying to. They're coming to me. They're asking me the questions. And then they'll say X, Y, and Z, you know. And so I'm like, I wasted a lot of time. (laughs) I wasted so much time. And I realized how much information I was giving for free. And how much it was doing to my own psyche and mental health doing this over and over again, essentially dating these companies for months and months and months, getting to know this, this team and that team, this head of this is, and, you know, giving them whatever, all the information they needed from me, you know, thinking I'm going to get something in the end when all I did was give up free information. And then I've, I've, I've been, in, uh, actually I've seen it play out more than once within this time where I've kind of stopped interviewing in these past few months where some of these companies started to roll out some of my ideas in a space where they were lost and they did not know what direction to go in. And then two months later, they start to roll out. Like, and I'm like, oh, okay. Still haven't hired for the role. So I said, absolutely not. I will not. I, I know who I am. I know that I'm great at what I do. I'm great at what I do. I know what I'm doing. And if I don't know, I'm not, I'm not afraid to ask questions, but at what I do, I know what I'm doing. I know the value that I give to any platform that I present myself on any platform that I give my talent to my expertise, my time, my energy to, I'm giving my all, all of my efforts. 
and I, I inspire people. I inspire people when I do it on so many different levels. And I cannot stop that based off of, you know, this company didn't want me, this company, that, that can't stop me from functioning as who I am and what I have to offer to developers and anybody else. And there are ways that I can make a living doing it. People will happily pay me to do these things. And you know what? That takes a level of courage, a level of, for lack of a better word, stomach. You need to be able to stomach that, especially in, a, like I said, with this time of uncertainty and all this stuff, like that's a big risk, like, you know, but it's out there. The moment I made the decision to stop interviewing with these companies and scale my influence to, if you want to work with me, you want my, you know, expertise and you want me to help you roll this out and you want me to help you blah, 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 then let's set up a partnership. We will partner together and I'll help you make it happen. You know that I can help you make it happen. You've seen my work, blah, blah, blah. I will gladly do this for you, but it won't be for free. And the moment I stopped interviewing, it was scary, but I knew I had to do it. Coursera calls. Coursera sends me an email. Hey, blah, blah, blah. Like, and Coursera, it, it wasn't about Coursera knew that I stopped interviewing or I tweeted about it. No, no, no. That was like God's confirmation. This is what's supposed to happen right now. You know, saying, hey, like that was confirmation that I'm making the right decision. I'm making the right chance. It's going to be okay. I didn't know where my next opportunity was going to come from. I didn't know where to start. And here comes Coursera. O'Reilly's ready to partner. They're ready to do not only courses, but all sorts of different things, you know, in collaboration with me. So many different other companies, platforms, they start reaching out. And all it took was for me to let go and to put that value and that power and that trust back into myself and not into the companies that I felt like were going to give me this. And I got this big company name, but myself, sometimes we forget when we're interviewing, like we are the talent, we are the asset. We give it to them. That's the company a little bit like, yeah, but they are seeking us, right? We are the talent. We are the asset. And sometimes we lose that in a little bit of intimidation, imposter syndrome, fear. You know, we could be in any kind of circumstance in our life financially or whatever. And, and we might be in a slight bit of desperation and we lose that and we lose that and we may be rejected and that decreases our mental kind of like our, our, our mental account for who we are and what our true value really is and are in the value of our skills. So it's been an amazing experience for me, you know? And like I said, in my journey, like this wasn't linear. This wasn't something that I like planned to do, like get into, but I'm in this space where I'm like scaling my influence, scaling my skills and my expertise. And I love it, you know, to platforms that I really believe in that I want to connect with that I, you know, am knowledgeable about, excuse me, am knowledgeable about that I want to learn about, uh, that I want to share with the developer community. And like I said, it was not planned. But going back to what we said about sometimes we are in spaces in our lives where it sounds like it's ordered. 
So you're like, okay, stop interviewing. And then all the jobs come running through. Like, oh, now opportunities came. It's 100% linear. You can just see the line just goes up. You can just, it just goes right into, oh, and then that's how she blah, 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 blah. And that's how you can confirm that you're doing the right things. You're, you're moving in the right direction. It sounds ordered. We know it's not linear. There's a lot of things in there going on, but in the end, it's ordered. So I know I'll go, I go on my rant sometimes, you know, I don't want to <laughs> take up too much time, but that is something that we lose sight of all the time as developers. We get caught up in the culture and the big names and all this stuff and, you know, forget who, who we are and why we do this. And we, we lose track of like how good we are. We're, we're great at, um, self-deprecating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's good. That, that keeps, you know, some people need to stay humble. <laughs> For sure. Um, and, yeah. Yeah. Some people need something to keep them humble, you know, but, uh, all in all, we still need to, uh, be mindful of who we are and not lose that. So, yeah. Okay. All right. That's awesome. I feel like that's a really good place to cap it off. But I have just one more question for you, which I'm yes. really interested in, which I used to ask this to everybody. And then I kind of I kind of lost that that for a few episodes, but I'm kind of back into asking it if I feel like people have got an interesting answer. So mm-hmm. my question is, what do you think separates an OK developer from a great developer? Hmm. OK from great. Uh you can keep that noise in too like yeah it's good <laughs> I, I like i like the, the pauses because it, it means like yeah this is when you gotta think about keep keep the noise <laughs> <laughs> because people think oh like that public speakers are like you know they Just speak straight, straight through the answer, like, yeah. no no sometimes you have to like make a noise like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> um an okay developer thinks they know it all a great developer knows they don't and they don't stop learning and they don't stop asking questions and they're always trying to find the most efficient way to do something. But an okay developer is stagnant and complacent in, well, I know it. <laughs> and there's nothing that you can tell an okay developer. And some people, like I've seen the joke go around Twitter and they're just like, world's okay. It's like, it's okay to just be okay. He's like, but I think people who think they're okay, like my definition of okay is like, like you think you're okay, but you're really great because you think you're okay. But when you think you're like, you, you know it all and you know, you can't, there's nothing else that you can learn that at that moment, like then you're okay. Like you're that, that, that is not what a great developer is to me. So, uh, yeah. That's a, that's a great answer to the question. I feel like the, the soundbite would just be, an okay developer thinks they know it all and a great mm-hmm. developer doesn't. Period. Yeah, that's awesome. So in in closing, for the listeners, um, where can people find you? Where would you like me to direct them to your meetup group, any courses you're doing, all that good stuff? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so you can definitely get me on Twitter anytime at Tamira J, T-I-M-I-R-A-H-J on Twitter. Uh, the same on Instagram. Uh, let me see. What else? TamiraJames.com. If you want to go and visit my website, uh, see some other cool things that I've worked on, or you want to reach out to me, like I'm super open, like with 
people like reaching out and, you know, connecting with me. Like I'm super like accessible in that way. And yeah, I'm trying to see Technigal. So you can follow Technigal. We do have a, a Twitter as well as an Instagram at Technigal LA. So it's basically technical, but with a G. So Technigal underscore. If, if people can't spell it, it will be in the show notes, but uh, yeah, I'm sure they yeah. can figure that one out. <laughs> yeah. So Technigal underscore LA. And uh, let me see. Uh, shout out to Coderitis. Shout out to uh, Coderitis. If if no one knows about uh, Coderitis, it's basically my song about uh, how much I adore uh, what I do in terms of like coding. And I, and I just basically enjoy coding so much. And people always ask me like, are you, did you stop your music career? Did you stop? I'm very much still active with music. I've done a couple of music tech things with some labels as well, uh, bringing them over into our industry and crossing that bridge as well. Uh, but yeah, Coderitis is on Spotify. Uh, if you want to listen to it, oh, I'm going to share the link with Rob. So, uh, yeah. And reach out to me if you want to, uh, partner up on some DevRel stuff or, uh, you need some, if you need any sort of, you know, input guidance or whatever, if you would like to partner on any level when it comes to, uh, engaging with developers, uh, working on adoption of whatever your technology is or your company, or you want to just do some fun, cool, like that's another thing about freelancing. Like you get some cool, like, uh, you leeway, you can do some like creative stuff and yeah. like, so yeah, I want to get creative with some, uh, with some companies or with some, uh, other developers and do some great things. So yeah, feel free to reach out. Awesome. And if you listen to this, no more free consulting either. Oh yeah. Period. <laughs> yeah. Period. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Awesome. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to say before before we sign off? No, I, I just enjoyed this so much, Rob. You, This is like amazing. And I can't wait till this episode comes out. This is going to be, I have a feeling this is going to be one of my favorite episodes. Big thanks to today's guest, Tamira James. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at Tamira J. On her website, TamiraJames.com. You can find Technigal on Twitter at Technigal underscore LA. And you can find Coderitis on Spotify. Finally, if you like the show, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating or a review. You can do that either via Apple Podcasts or via podchaser.com. The link is in the show notes. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so with a coffee donation at coffeeencodingpod.com slash donate. Caffeine is literally what fuels this podcast. If you'd like to connect with me, you can do so on Twitter at lowcarbrob. And if you'd like to connect with like-minded developers and other listeners, you can do so in our Slack community at coffeeencodingpod.com Slack. Thank you for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode of the Coffee Encoding Podcast. <laughs>